Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It's great to be with you another evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We are in chapter 6. We really just got chapter 6 going in our last time together. Those first few verses were so rich, and I'm going to tidy up that discussion that we had in our last time together, and then we will spend some time with verses 3 to 7. So I will probably read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. But before we get into those verses, I did just want to continue to welcome all of you out there who are not only listening locally in the Chico area, but also who are tuning in by way of podcast statewide, nationwide, and also in the international arena. I see the countries of, of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Chile, some countries in Western Europe that I, I talk about bring the podcast up. And I have to tell you, it just continues to just not humble me, but I don't know if I have ever really voiced this here on Seeds of Truth, but also convict me to know that there are folks out there listening in different countries, to know that people are taking time out of their busy schedules. It really does convict me to pray up, verse up, read up, so that Seeds of Truth can be the program that it needs to be, which hopefully, hopefully is answering your questions. I got an email just the other day that said, you know, Joe, as you're going through First and Second Corinthians, I am finding a lot of my questions that I have about the Christian faith answered. This particular podcast listener is not a Catholic. They are Lutheran. I was grateful to receive that email that a lot of questions that this particular person had um, are being answered. Now, as I've said before on a great number of occasions, there's just not one question, two questions, but a thousand and one questions we have about just not the Catholic faith, but also the Christian faith. If we just spend time with sacred scripture, if we just sit down with sacred scripture and read it, read it in prayer, we will get our questions answered. One of the benefits of going through a book, as we have been doing here on Seeds of Truth, just not First and Second Corinthians, but before First and Second Corinthians, we also went through the book of Revelation, you're going to get your questions answered. And what's interesting is, sometimes you didn't even realize there was a question you had, and then you, you read a certain verse, or you read a certain chapter, and you say to yourself, gosh, that leads me to this question, or that question. And then if you roll up your sleeves, if you work with commentaries and what this Greek means or, with, or what that Hebrew means, you'll discover you just may find the answer. So there is a great number of benefits to going through a book, and one of those, yes, is getting your questions answered. But it never just stops there, right? It's just not about getting our questions answered. As I have said on a great number of times here on Seeds of Truth, it's about the spiritual life. It's about taking these verses and applying them to our spiritual life, our spiritual walk with God. How can we best define the spiritual life? Well, 
we can say that the spiritual life begins and ends with our desire for God. Why? Because God desires that we desire God as much as God desires us. That's the spiritual life, that our desire for God might equal God's desire for us. Okay? And so when we enter into the spiritual life, then what we are doing is entering into this life of desiring God, life of what it means to long for God, and then, and then in turn, ultimately living that life out in virtue and in grace. Okay, that's what the spiritual life is about. And again, this is why we go through First and Second Corinthians, just not to get your questions answered, but also to take these great truths that St. Paul is writing about and applying them to our everyday life. All right, speaking of great truths, speaking of great truths and verses, let us go ahead and now read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Working together then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I heard you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is a very acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We cause no one to stumble in anything in order that no fault may be found with our ministry. On the contrary, in everything we commend ourselves as ministers of God through much endurance in afflictions, hardships, constraints, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, vigils, fasts, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, in a Holy Spirit, in unfeigned love, in truthful speech, in the power of God. In the power of God. Okay, so these first few verses, last time we were focusing in on the now and the importance of now. And a point I had failed to make was this overarching truth that no one is guaranteed tomorrow. Benedict XVI says, for this reason, the great gift of Christianity is the present moment. You know, we use the word present to talk about the time that is before us in the now. Well, what is the other context for present? But gift, right? You see, my friends, the present moment is the great gift that comes to us from God. So if you ever forget that, just think about what the word present itself means. God's great gift to us, to do what he desires. What was I just talking about? The longing, the ache, what St. Teresa of Avila would call the wounded ache for God, right? That deep longing. If you don't understand what I'm talking about now, just think about that time you first fell in love and how you long to be with that person, and the great joy and the great happiness it brought to you when you were in the presence of that person. There is someone close to me right now who just met up with someone who she likes a lot, and she has not been in his presence in quite some time, and she was sending me some texts and pictures of of her in his presence, and there's this inexpressible joy you know, she was trying to find words in her text, right, to communicate this inexpressible joy. You, you really can't. Human words, finite words, just can't express what's inside of you. Well, my dear friends, 
That is what St. Teresa of Avila is talking about, and on a much deeper level, of course, when she uses the word, or rather phrase, wounded ache. If she ever felt like she wasn't in God's presence, she would have this deep longing for God, this, again, wounded ache. So, again, when we are living for God in this way, when we are longing for God in this way, we will begin to appreciate what the present moment is all about. And understand that this is the greatest gift that we have because we aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Well, so many of us like to ask the question of the 18-year-old, what college are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do next in life? Or maybe the 22, 23-year-old graduate after she or he graduates from college, what's your next step in life? We're constantly looking into the future, and I get it, we do that, I do that all the time, and, and we do so for good reason, to generate discussion about what you hope to achieve in life, and that's all fine and well. But <laughs> what about the present moment? What are you doing today? Let that be the question you ask that 18 or 22-year-old. What are you doing today? How are you going about living your life today? I mean, if today was your last day, if you knew today was your last day, how would you go about your day? Especially to the context of these first few verses. What relationship would you reconcile? What relationship just isn't quite right? If we are the one getting in the way of why a particular relationship just isn't right, ask the question, why? Why has your heart become so hard? These are questions that our Lord desires to ask us. And in doing so, examine them closely. Is it your shame for something that you have done in the past? Is there an additional relationship from the past that has yet to be reconciled and is impacting other relationships in how you're able to engage those relationships and how you're able to encounter one another in those relationships? Reconcile with one another in those relationships. Is there something deeper here going on? I bring this up because it is something that I find in the conversations that I have. And those folks who become vulnerable to me and want to talk to me about why the relationships aren't right, often what happens is that it goes into a relationship they didn't even realize wasn't right a wound they had forgotten about, yet impacted them a great deal in their formative years. So I present to you a question, is there a relationship that just isn't right? And if it isn't, what does St. Paul say? What have we been emphasizing? Now is the acceptable time. Now is the acceptable time. And pay close attention to verse 2. Not only is now the acceptable time, but, behold, now is the day of salvation. It is salvific, brothers and sisters. Reconciling ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ is salvific, right? Remember what the word salvation means. When you look at that Latin root, save, which means healing or healing balm, you can begin to get a sense of what this word is all about. To heal right? To heal. We have explored this in great detail 
in the light of Satan's venom. Okay, God extracts the wound, heals it, and restores us to health. Could we not say that being right with a brother or sister in Christ that we are not right with would restore us to health? Of course it would. Of course it would. Now, all of that being said, I hear some of you say, well, Joe, you just don't understand because the person that I want to be reconciled with wants nothing to do with me. And so here is where we enter into the very poverty of the cross. Do we not? And I'm just not talking about those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But that poverty of desiring change, desiring reconciliation, and ultimately having the other person having no idea how much it hurts us or how much it affects us. Imagine the deep wounds of not only Christ's physical suffering, but also relational suffering. The very people he desired to be with were the very people who wanted nothing to do with him. When we desire to be reconciled with someone and that someone wants nothing to do with us, we enter into the wounds of Christ. We actually participate in Christ's suffering. This is what Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 is talking about. This redemptive suffering. There is such a profound, profound participation in the very life of Christ when we seek to reconcile with our brothers and sisters in Christ and they want nothing to do with it. We must pray on bended knee and take stock in what St. Paul is talking about this evening. We're going to get more into this later, but those two actions of being in vigil with Christ and fasting, those are very important. So again, the poverty of the cross is relevant to this discussion. And in the light of that, we pray with great conviction uh, that our Lord would open the heart of other, that person who we desire to be in relationship with, reconciled with, so that, yeah, we may experience what is new on the other side of brokenness, what is new on the other side of disunity. Hopefully most of us, if not all of us, have experienced the kind of deeper bond that comes with the struggle, that comes with a one-time brokenness, that deeper bond that exists when you've had to work through stuff together. Brothers and sisters, be humble, right? Be mindful of your human nature. Be mindful of your limitations. Be, be mindful of your shortcomings and pray hard that God may work not only in your life, but in your relationships. All right, I, I know I'm spending extra time on this subject matter, but there's a reason why, and hopefully you understand why. Because if there's any subject matter that I find myself talking about with others, it is people's brokenness, including my own. Including my own, of course. All right, all that being said, let us jump into now verses 3 to 7. So the, the first set of sufferings, afflictions, hardships, and constraints. These are, we could say in effect, what? But three synonymous terms. 
they express in a general manner the difficulties Paul faces as a minister of God. Now, if you were to go back into the opening chapter, St. Paul revealed that his afflictions are for the community's encouragement and what? Salvation. There you have the word again, salvation. So Paul's very afflictions, hardships, and constraints were for the community's encouragement and salvation. You see, my friend, St. Paul challenges each and every one of us to participate in our Lord's suffering. And that very unique way of offering our, what? Afflictions, hardships, and constraints to God so that God might use them. Use them as He wishes. Once again, this is what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. All right, what about the second set of hardships, beatings, imprisonments, and riots? Now here, Paul offers very specific examples of how he suffered at the hands of others. To what does his reference to beatings allude? Well, later in the letter in chapter 11, verses 24 to 25, he will disclose that he has been scourged five times by synagogue officials, and in Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 23, beaten with wooden rods three times by Roman officials. You know, my friends, there's something going on here. With Paul, there is this deep sense of whatever it takes for one soul, right? Whatever it takes for one soul. If even one soul would come to know the love of Jesus Christ, right? This is what compels him. Do we have that Pauline sense of what it means to proclaim the gospel? I hear so many people say, you know, Joe, what's the big deal? It's all up to God. Just leave people alone. Let them be on their way. I don't know why you spend so much time on the radio or going to these parishes, giving missions, or, or writing this or writing that. Just, it's no big deal. Let, let God worry about that. Well, <laughs> wait a second. What do all of his letters represent but this love of Christ that compelled him, urged him on, right? Why? Because what does Jesus say? Go therefore, baptize, and teach the nations. Teach the nations. And so this is what Paul does, and in turn, this is what we are called to do. Uh, this is why Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI once said that the church exists for evangelization. What are we evangelizing? No. Who are we evangelizing? The person of Jesus Christ and his great love for us. Brothers and sisters, we all have a desire to be loved. And as much as we love those closest to us, our love for one another on a human level is not the same kind of love that Christ has for us. It is Christ who fulfills our deepest longing. It is Christ who fulfills that wounded ache, right? So be rest assured, we are to spread the message of the good news. And this good news is God's transforming love. All right, what about this third set of three sufferings? Labors, vigils, and fasts. Now these depict those hardships that Paul has willingly imposed on himself 
in order to proclaim the gospel. The term labors here could refer to his work as a tent maker. We know that from Acts chapter 18, verse 3, Paul was a tent maker. I've talked about this a great deal before. Paul often labored with his own hands so that he would not be a financial burden to his fledgling churches, right? So he was committed to proclaiming the gospel without recompense, huh? Now, what does Paul mean by vigils? Well, I think there's two things going on here. First of all, that he spent many hours in manual labor, and so he would find himself having to forego some sleep. St. Paul did not sleep very much, right? If you were to go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, uh, we can get a sense of that for sure. So not only was he working long days and into the night, he was also proclaiming uh, the gospel at every opportunity. So he would find himself preaching and teaching deep into the night. So this is part of him foregoing his sleep. But the word vigil doesn't just speak to what he was doing deep into the night, but how he was being deep into the night, right? I have talked about the relationship between being and doing and how being precedes action. Well, St. Paul would take stock in the importance of just being in the presence of Jesus Christ, being in the presence of God, and holding a vigil before God, that God might fill him up in his many works, his many labors, his many, all of his preaching and teaching. As far as fasts go, to some degree, yeah, he was made to fast because of his heavy labor, and he just didn't feel like he could stop in what he was doing because of the demand that was upon him, but also he chose to fast as that extraordinary interior discipline that draws you deeper into the sacred heart of God. There's great redemptive value in fasting. You've heard me talk about it before in the context of fasting as praying with the body and how the body becomes an offering to God. And my friends, when I talk about fasting, especially today, it's not not having any food and then bum-rushing the refrigerator at 12.01. No, 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 no. You have to come to know at a very intimate level what it means to be without. So to be genuine in your fast is to genuinely offer up whatever it is that you are withdrawing from yourself and give it to God. If it's a fast on bread and water, on say maybe a Friday, don't bum-rush the refrigerator at 12.01. Go to bed on that bread and water and you will find yourself refreshed and renewed the next day. It's an extraordinary discipline, and it's something that the church has encouraged, certainly, for 2,000 years. All right, now, how is Paul able to endure these hardships? What are the virtues, okay, that helps him endure these hardships? Well, he says here, purity, knowledge, patience, and kindness. Purity here, yes, signifies uh, innocence and integrity. But if you are a faithful listener to this program, you know that purity is that and much more. The Greek word kathados literally translates as without mixture, to be one thing, to be single-hearted or to be single-minded. So St. Paul was able to do what he was able to do because he was single-minded for God. He had a single heart for God. And yes, he was pure. He didn't stain mind and heart with polluted images or with impure thoughts. 
He had a single heart for God. He wasn't distracted, if you will. He didn't give in to all of the side glances that we might give in to today. Now, Paul's reference to knowledge recalls what? Well, what did we read in chapter 4, verse 6? But the knowledge of the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ that was bestowed on Paul. It is this gift, my friends, that enables the apostle to spread the knowledge of him in every place through his proclamation and way of life. How about patience? Patience is that virtue that denotes forbearance, the exercise of restraint in the face of provocation. The most ancient root to the word patience also means suffering, right? Because to restrain yourself from maybe what you think you need to do or, or from maybe what you think you need to say can become a great suffering, can become a great cross. And yet, does not God call us to this very thing? Earlier, I was talking about longing, desiring to be reconciled with our brother or sister in Christ, but they don't have that same desire. You have to restrain yourself, do you not, from maybe saying something that you shouldn't say. So patience, a very important virtue. And lastly, kindness. Kindness. Uh, This certainly refers to goodness and how we are generous to others. You know, kindness and, and generosity are those virtues that aren't weak, no, but strong in God's grace. When you are generous to someone, it opens them up to you. And out from that kindness and out from that generosity, they will be more willing to to talk to you about a great number of things. And I think in many different contexts, we long for that. All right, I am looking up at the clock and we are out of time. We will pick up here next time. There are a few more pieces to be had about these verses, but hopefully we have found that these first seven verses have been very beneficial to us. And if you find yourself struck by what St. Paul says here, take these verses before the Blessed Sacrament. Take these verses before the cross. Read them, reread them, and call upon the Holy Spirit. Because I think this message of St. Paul here is very strong. Not only the call to offer up all of our afflictions and hardships to God, but do so with the disciplines that he exercises and the virtues and habits that he lives. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.